2: Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
3: This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually
0: Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, inventions versus animals. Can we innovate our way into being as cool as animals? Can animals inspire breakthroughs in medical devices? And what does one of history's greatest inventors and sharks have in common? Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question... Who smells the best in the animal kingdom, or do they all smell terrible? Joining me today is friend of the pod, friend of me, Katie, and host of a podcast that I like to describe as a warm blanket that educates you,
4: called Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Welcome, Alex Schmidt. It is so good to be here. I'm glad to be in this blanket.
1: Feels (laughs) nice.
4: Winter time, northern hemisphere, gotta bundle up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just a, a blanket of education about animals thankfully it's not a blanket <laughs> man out of real animals because that would probably be very stinky be kind of clawing uh, you you know biting at you <laughs> a lot of mucus maybe depending on the animal just saying yeah, yeah. One, of,
4: one of nature's greatest gifts is the fiber animal where you can <laughs> shear them and receive the fiber and you don't have to use the actual animal all yes. the time yeah. that worked out great I think, thank you nature
0: thank you sheep thank you sheeple <laughs> Uh (laughs) but yes so we are talking about how animals stack up to real life inventions and sometimes animals can inspire inventions um but first i want to talk about animal smell and smell is one of those things that to me is very mysterious and ephemeral because you you got this nose. <laughs>
4: Look, if I if I if I smell funny today, you can just say so. <laughs> like I know it's so bad it comes through a Zoom, I mean, and I'm working on it. Okay.
0: I was gonna say there are like stink plumes coming out of the computer, like like green stink lines, like in cartoons, <laughs> and some little some little flies hovering around. Yeah.
4: I do. I do every every Christmas. I receive a peanuts collection, and the one from this Christmas, like Pig Pen, is the cover boy. Pig Pen is very much on my mind all the time now. I just I just think <laughs> about the dirtiest character in cartoons frequently. The
0: the classic Pig pen stink lines. Uh, unfortunately, we cannot see smell, and we can't mm. we can't send smells over the internet yet, which I would love. <laughs> I would love that if we could, because then you read a recipe instead of getting the huge preamble before on the recipe about like their childhood or their favorite dog or something. It's like it's the smell of the cooked product over the Internet. (laughs) We don't have that technology yet. Humans, we have great eyesight, great cognitive ability and, you know, decent smell. A decent sense of smell, but by far it is not the best sense of smell in the animal kingdom. Alex, what animal would you guess has the best recorded sense of smell?
4: Oh, I always—I feel like cartoons told me dogs. I'll go with dogs.
0: <laughs> cartoons. Yeah. Once again,
4: I'm leaning on essentially Snoopy now, uh, which is yes. maybe typical. But uh... <laughs>
0: Cartoons told me that if a dog is hungry enough, it'll hallucinate you as a giant steak. And float over there like on the smell lines coming out of the giant steak that is you.
4: Yeah, especially if you're a very tall, skinny guy, you'll be imagined as a hot dog. Yeah. But if you're sort of a rounder, wider guy, you'll be a hamburger. Right, exactly. This is just science, folks.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's science. Look it up. Read a book. So, (laughs) yeah. So how do you even test the sensitivity of an animal's nose? Because you can't like take an old sock and hold it up to a variety of animals and like see who passes out. There's got to be some scientific method with it. So researchers have studied olfactory receptor genes. So the olfactory uh, system is the uh, the smelling, the, 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 the smell, the sniffer. And we have genes that will have genetic information relating to our olfactory receptors. So... There are a variety of mammalian species that researchers have looked at, and they have found that, first of all, there's a ton of genes across these species that will code for for smell receptors. They've identified a total of 10,000 olfactory genes over 13 mammals that they studied. And in contrast, these mammals shared only an average of three same genes amongst uh, each other. So that means that out of 10,000 total identified receptor genes, they've only found that there are about three of them that thir- these 13 mammals they studied share. So each animal species Whoa. seems to have their very own unique library of olfactory receptor
4: genes. Three out of 10,000 mm-hmm. that cross over. At th- this is incredible.
0: So there's a huge diversity of genes that when it comes to olfactory receptors, and uh, they have studied how many genes each species has. And the nose the researchers studied that belonged to the animal with the most olfactory genes was also the nose that makes this sound oh. So, Alex, who do you think that is?
4: I, I ran out of the room screaming. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> <more>. uh. <laughs>
0: maybe, maybe this sound will help you whittle it down a little more. So among the animals studied, elephants are the clear winner when it comes to number Ooh. of olfactory genes. So they have two thousand genes that code for olfactory receptors. In comparison, dogs only had 1,000, and humans and chimps had fewer than 400 of these genes.
4: (laughs) I feel feel like that's tracking with schnoz length. I know that's not how it works, but I like it. I mean,
0: (laughs) that's not necessarily a bad idea. Elephant trunks are incredibly long, incredibly complex, So the idea that maybe because they have this really long trunk, it could also be more sophisticated when it comes to smell is not, I I don't think that's a, I I think that is probably pretty accurate.
4: Man, it's like, it's like a Christmas stocking. Like the longer it is, the more candy you're going to get. It's fantastic. Just filling it with jeans in the night and then eating cookies and milk. God, it's Santa, I guess, in this case. Also evolution. It's a lot going on. I mean,
0: Darwin is kind of like an evolution Santa, I guess, when you think about it. He's got the beard. He's got the yeah. jolly belly that he fills with eating animals he just discovered. So, you know, <laughs> instead of leaving out cookies for Darwin Santa, you leave out a plate of some rare turtle from the Galapagos Islands so that he can eat it.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, kids. Let's prepare the plate of finches. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! What? Hold on.
0: Like he likes he likes to taste everything he studies.
4: <laughs> An entire wooden English ship lands on your roof. It's terrible. <laughs> Huge hallmarks on it.
0: Remember some orange slices, kids. They've all got scurvy. So. <laughs> The question is does the number of olfactory genes necessarily translate to a better sense of smell? Because if they have if elephants have about 2000 of these genes and dogs only have 1000, are elephants twice as good at smelling as dogs? Well, we don't know exactly how the number of genes transcribes to goodness of smelling skills. But it does seem that more of these genes indicates better senses of smell. So research has shown that Asian elephants are at least as good as mice, who have around 1,300 olfactory genes at telling the difference between smells. So elephants have a lot of really amazing smell skills. They're able to recognize their family members based on the smell of urine Which I guess is one way to do business cards. Basically, an elephant business card is pee.
4: (laughs) That's why I don't put it in my wallet. Yeah. That's why. (laughs) Uh.
0: Elephant hands you this big, stinky, soggy card, and it's just covered in its urine.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Imagine, like... Meeting an elephant who you could communicate with and being like, I'll still need a business card to remember this. <laughs> I need a lot of elephants I communicate with. Like give me give me something I can hang on to for this memory.
0: Yeah, put it in the Rolodex <laughs> under elephant. Uh yeah. People don't there's there aren't even really biz, do people still use business cards anymore? They certainly don't use Rolodexes. I know that.
4: Yeah. I I made some for me and my show. But <gasps> I yeah, I don't meet people in person very often so I I just sort of have them it's mainly been useful for like if I meet someone who I want to convince to like listen to it I can just give them that instead of
0: that's a great idea I feel like I should do a business card but it's a scratch and sniff and you scratch and it's sniff you sniff and it smells like skunk (laughs) 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 or like the or a a binturong anal gland or maybe a maybe a beaver anal gland and it'll smell like vanilla. Uh we actually yeah. talked about that on Alex's show cuz it's yeah, yeah.
4: So <laughs> go just hop over to castorium.com. Use the <laughs> promo code. It's uh, a promo code
0: creature for your very own <laughs> vial of beaver anal gland castorium which has the lovely smell and flavor of vanilla. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> Elephants can also detect the difference in smells between two groups of people, especially when their life is at stake. So they can smell the difference between populations of people and will avoid people who hunt them, and they are less avoidant of people who don't pose a threat to them. So when they are presented with clothes worn by people from a certain village or group who are more likely to hunt them, the elephants show more of a fear response Versus clothes from the same types of clothes from another group, where they are much less likely to hunt the elephants. Additionally, and this is wow. un- this is unrelated to their sense of smell, but to their intelligence, they can tell the difference in humans based on their voices, their accent, the color of their clothes, and they will recognize that and take a note of it. So, if there's a group of people who are more likely to hunt elephants or to kill elephants they will avoid and learn their accents it's really incredible
4: yeah so i this is thrilling for me especially because i used to be a zoo tour guide right and so i'd be on a tram going around a zoo projecting my voice through a speaker system as we among other things went past elephants this leads me to believe they got to know me this is cool. they great. probably did this oh, is really cool yeah
0: absolutely <laughs> This your, is the best. Hi by your smell alone. They're like, hey, I, look at those stink lines. It must be Alex Schmidt.
4: Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the The honey voiced pig pen of Brookfield Zoo. <laughs> Alex Schmidt. There he is.
0: <laughs> is that on your business card? The honey voiced pig pen of the zoo?
4: Yeah, yeah. And then they forget my podcast completely. They don't, they, they're distracted.
0: <laughs> you need to work on your elevator pitch. Yeah.
4: <laughs> It's like, hey, what's your podcast like? Okay, so I'm disgusting, first of all. <laughs> uh, and I met some elephants this one time. That does it's, it's not like it a, down. It's just like a five-year-old telling a story, like just constant random yeah. details. <laughs>
0: it's like, I'm disgusting. That does not narrow down podcast hosts. I'm sorry. That is like 99% of all podcasts. We're disgusting. So <laughs> this is what happens when you have a non-visual medium. We just, you know... There's no motivation there. Right now there's like there's like an old sock sort of stuck to my forehead. You know, it's just (laughs) there there needs to be some accountability and there is none.
4: (laughs) It's just exactly those Monty Python peasants every taping. Yeah. And it's one guy shouting about leftism. It really fits. It does.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. No, that's that's exactly it for every podcast. They're all the same. So Furthermore, elephants show a greater sense of smell than even dogs in terms of their accuracy. So, elephants have been shown to be able to distinguish between different quantities of food. So, Alex, when you're smelling some food and it's like there's a bowl of, I don't know, what's a good what's a good food you like the smell of?
4: Oh, something about spaghetti. Spaghetti.
0: I love spaghetti too um so you got a plate of spaghetti with your favorite toppings with your with meatballs and and marinara sauce parm lots of parm just heaps of parm and you have another plate of spaghetti and they're behind a curtain and if you had to smell these two plates of spaghetti would you be able to tell the difference between a plate that's like more spaghetti than the other plate like hey this is like Oh. A big heap of spaghetti. And this is just sort of a medium heap of spaghetti.
4: No, I would never know amounts. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Neither can dogs. So take that, dogs. You're not so great. Uh <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> what I
0: said to my dog today when I was researching this. I was like, haha, see? You and I aren't so different. Yeah. You think you're better than me <laughs> just because you've got a more sensitive nose? How many trees have I got in my hand? You don't know. Well, funny, interesting. So
4: I'm, I'm also realizing I set us up for a dog eating spaghetti, which is pure Lady on the Tramp stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. Cartoons Lady once again. Yeah. Teaching us all.
0: <laughs> tramp imagining the waiters is like giant steaks. Eat some. I might be thinking of a different movie. <laughs> Even though dogs cannot do this task, Asian elephants can. Asian elephants in Thailand were tested on this task and they were able to tell the difference between buckets of sunflower seeds, because apparently elephants like sunflower seeds, and they would awesome. have these two opaque buckets with little holes in it so the smells could come out, but you couldn't see into them with different quantities of sunflower seeds. And they would consistently pick the bucket with more sunflower seeds based on smell alone. And this was even wow. when the quantity between the buckets only differed by like a hundred seeds or so. So oh. that's absolutely amazing that they can smell quantities. They can count with their nose.
4: Yeah, that's, a, that's such a higher level. Yeah. Man.
0: It's smell math. It's math. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and I like that they like sunflower seeds because I, I associate that snack with baseball. So that yeah. makes me imagine an elephant playing baseball hold the bat with the trunk really good
0: eating sunflower seeds yeah. spitting them out with his trunk <laughs> like like he's using his trunk as sort of a gatling gun and he's spitting seeds out of it
4: <laughs> oh and he pitches with it like he shoots yeah, the ball out of his nose i know that's not how it works this but, is definitely
0: yeah. a cartoon i think that must exist and you learn so yeah. we learn so much from cartoons like how elephants play baseball <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't really have any human inventions that can give us, like, super smell. We have things like binoculars or telescopes that can give us super sight. Uh, We Mm -hmm. even have ways to amplify audio to give us super hearing. But there is no device that can give you super smell, uh, at least not yet. There is some research to creating a smell implant that would function similarly to a cochlear implant that could help restore the sense of smell for people who have lost their smell due to traumatic injury, which is really important because a sense of smell is both for safety, being able to smell smoke or gas, but also being able to smell food. And your smell has such a big impact on your quality of life being able to smell the fragrance of everyday things, being able to enjoy your meals better because smell actually plays a huge role in our enjoyment of meals. So being able to restore people's sense of smell is actually this huge area of uh, medicine that we really need to have more breakthroughs in. And so it's it's really interesting. Uh, the The research is very preliminary at this point. I saw like there was some... A prototype for one of these potential smell implants, and it's like a like a little smell microphone that was attached to a pair of sunglasses that would like dangle in front of your nose, send that information oh. to an external processor, and then that would go into an implant in your brain. Uh this has not ever been tried on a human before, so the image was like on a human skull or a you know fake skull. And so it was like this skull wearing sunglasses.
4: <laughs> I mean, for, yeah, forget the smell part. I just want a skull wearing sunglasses. I do too. It's like too. my avatar for stuff. And Yeah. It sounds pretty good. It's
0: cool. It's like, it's like. My logo. Yeah. What is cooler than a skull wearing sunglasses? Nothing. <laughs> Maximum coolness. Yeah. Maybe if he's like riding a skateboard doing a kick Kick flip on a skateboard skeleton sunglasses peak cool can't get cooler (laughs) so even though there are no like super smell binoculars that you can stick up your nose uh, like that Futurama, I think there was a <laughs> thing in Futurama where the professor had like a smelloscope, which was like a telescope, but for smells, and he used it to smell different nice. planets, which is funny because astronauts talk about how space has a weird smell. But yeah, we're not, we're not there yet. We don't have smelloscopes, but there is a smellometer. So it may not give you a better sense of smell, but it's how you can detect the intensity of odors. And it's called, drum roll, oh. the Nasal Ranger.
4: <laughs> the Nasal Ranger.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just imagining. Go, go,
4: Nasal Rangers. Yeah, do, yeah. Do, 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 <laughs> do.
0: A bunch of teenagers in robot suits that form a giant nose, <laughs> sniffing out crime. <laughs>
4: like, and your absorbed will be the right nostril. And uh, they're like, okay. I, I, okay, where is this going? Is <laughs> and this yours
0: going? will be the septum. Uh, wh- wh- what part <laughs> is that again? It's the part between the nostrils. Uh, so, <laughs> the nasal ranger was invented by chemical engineer Chuck McGinley and it looks, it does kind of look like nose binoculars. It's this long conical device you stick up to your nose and you just start sniffing it's like a megaphone kind of but you put it over your nose and i've shared with you alex and this will be in the show notes a a picture of uh chuck mcginley (laughs) showcasing the nasal ranger and it's i think one of my favorite pictures other than the skull wearing the sunglasses this is also one of my favorite pictures on the internet
4: he does well because he's wearing sunglasses and he's outdoors. That's, yeah, so he's he's on the go collecting spells. Really good. It's so and good. Yeah, it's it sort of looks like he's trying to speed gun traffic, but with his nose. <laughs> right. Like it.
0: <laughs> I can smell a speeder.
4: Yeah, he's checking if anybody's like. Right. Not if anybody doesn't have one of those little pine tree air fresheners and he's going to catch them and pull them over.
0: There's a new law against stinkiness. And so he stands <laughs> on the side of the road just smelling people as they come by and then turns on his lights and follows you if you're a little too stinky. I mean, that's yeah. actually not as far from the truth as you would think. So oh no, this doesn't. No, no. It's it's a good thing. <laughs> I
4: got to buy an air freshener. fast. <laughs> he's
0: coming for you like, I don't even need this. I can see the stink lines coming off of Alex. Miles <laughs> away. So it doesn't enhance smell, but what it does is it helps you hone in and measure the intensity of a smell. So you put this over your nose, kind of forms a seal over your nose. So you're smelling through this like smell scope and it has an aperture that allows the odor in. And as you're smelling, you can slowly close the aperture so it gets smaller and smaller. The goal is to close this until you can no longer smell the smell. And it measures you know, how tiny this little pinhole is as you close it. And the tinier that hole is, the more powerful the smell because the more the smell can infiltrate the nasal wow. ranger, which it's one of those things that it's an invention where you think, oh, right, Duh. It's just seeing like how much smell can fit through a little tiny hole. And if the smell is really strong, it's going to be able to get through this little tiny hole easier than smells that are weaker. And it's it's very simple, but it works.
4: Yeah, I like that. It's a system of basically getting overloaded or overwhelmed by smell. I know the machine's not upset. But it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. If a smell is strong, that's cool. Well,
0: no, it's the human. Here's the really interesting thing is it's the, the it has to be operated by a human. There's no machine oh. sort of detecting because you can have something that like detects some source of odor. Uh, but this is actually just a human operated device. So the human operator, you, you hold it up to where you can smell something and you smell and you're like. I can still smell it. And you close the aperture a little bit. It's like, I can still smell it. And you just keep sniffing until you can't smell it anymore. And then you take your measurement.
4: Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're like a surveyor or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of old school, but in a really cool way. It's like, you know, you just send some person out there to go sniffing around until they find a smell. And this this guy's lab, uh, it ha- it's involved with a bunch of, like, smell-related science where they go around trying to identify foul odors, finding out where they are. They create, like, a sort of lexicon for how to describe smells. And this is actually really important for... A few reasons, it can actually be used to measure the power of odors from factories, chemical plants, and other industry, which is really important for quality of life and for people's health. So foul smells from industry can sometimes make people ill. It can reduce quality of life. And it's something really hard to quantify. If you live near some industrial plant, you're like, it smells really bad, you know, you can't like capture the smell in a jar and send it to the police, so.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And I've tried, I've tried. And
0: I've tried. Do they
4: mail the jars back? No, pretty rude. (laughs) At least give the jar back.
0: So if you want to be able to quantify a bad smell, you need some kind of bad smell measurement device and this nasal ranger can do that. And so this can help researchers by like taking sort of somewhat objective ways to measure the power of a smell. And then they can use that in research to see if there are health implications for people who are living near industrial plants or uh, quality of life implications. And this this is a very important issue and this is also something that uh disproportionately affects lower income people who often live closer sure. to industrial related odor pollution sources and so it is something that could be used to help guide policy to try to make up for some institutional inequality when it comes to something like smell which it it's again one of those things that's easy to kind of brush off is like well you know detecting the strength of smells that's kind of it's kind of funny and i mean it is very funny to see someone operating one of these things but it's something that when you think about yeah like being able to detect odors and especially when it comes to like a, a chemical plant or an industrial plant that's releasing odor pollution it's very important
4: oh yeah i think man that When I saw this guy's picture, I got a cop vibe, but I think in a good way. Like his his whole (laughs) vibe is not like look at me doing smells, haha. He's like, I am on patrol. I'm going to like catch an odor that is ruining someone's life. And that's really cool. He's a
0: smell detective.
4: Yeah. (laughs) This
0: the smelliest detective out there. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that.
4: Yeah, and so long we've outsourced this to hounds and other dogs. Finally, a human can step in, take that job from a dog. I
0: imagine an old bloodhound really being mad that some some guy with his his crazy device stole his job.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers
0: So, Alex, you know that show uh, Shark Tank? Yeah, I've seen it a bit. Yeah, it's that show where inventors show their stuff to prospective, I guess, investors, and they judge them or make fun of them or sometimes invest in their product. And those inventions can get pretty silly. There was one where a guy made like a Transformers costume that you could drive around in. So like...
4: (laughs) What's the silly part?
0: (laughs) You wear like a car chassis and, but then it's Uh like made out of plastic. And so you kind of hunch over on all fours on the ground. And I've seen versions of this costume that work really well, but this one, like the ideas that you are actually able to drive around, like as if you're a RC car. And so you're (laughs) balancing on these drivable wheels and Sure. awkwardly yeah. rolling around. And when you see it, it's this adult man sort of on all fours, somewhat look covered in a car chassis, but he can't fully fold himself because, you know, he's a grown man. And then, right. and so he's kind of balancing on these wheels that are rolling around really awkwardly. And it's kind of nightmare fuel.
4: I mean, the most awkward part was probably when all five sharks tried to give him all of the money they ever had. <laughs> that really put some tension on the, the show.
0: Uh, there was another one called the uh, Euro Club, which, I mean, Euro Club sounds like some kind of cool discotheque, you know, where you're, you go and go to a European yeah. sort of flavored uh, nightclub. No, it's a hollow golf club that you pee in.
4: Oh, like U- like U-R-O, not E-U-R-O?
0: Yes, Euro
4: oh, man. U-R-O
0: Club. It's a hollow golf club that you put your wiener in and pee in. So there's a little privacy sheet near the handle that you drape over so nobody can see your bits while you're peeing into a hollow <laughs> golf club. So you don't have to go all the way to the bathroom while you're on the golf course.
4: Yeah, because if there's one thing golfers love, it's rough in it. That's why they never use carts or... <laughs> Have a nineteenth hole drink or anything. They love having a really rustic day.
0: my My favorite, uh, my favorite thing about the Peep Golf Club is that then when you're done and I guess you seal it off, like you just have this club you're carrying around that's sloshing around with warm urine in it. Yeah, and you know it smells. You know that it has to smell like pee because it's not. not <laughs> it's it's gonna it's gonna smell like pee.
4: And every swing would feel weird, like you you mess with the entire now, rhythm that you like. You'd be so much worse at golf,
0: <laughs> Alex. I'm not sure that they the actually is wrong. golf. <laughs> the weight is wrong. I'm not sure that you're actually supposed to golf with the P club, or just put it in amongst your oh. other clubs so that. You can discreetly pee into a club shaped urinal.
4: I see, and it's disguised. It's like that rock you put a, a key in outside your place. It's just, it's just a fakie hiding hiding right, spot, right?
0: Right for your pee. It's but not I your I do driver. Like, still, I like your idea better. It's like, okay, so you might as well be able to play golf with it, right?
4: Right. Yeah, my, you know, you pack your bag to be optimized, right? So. Exactly.
0: You don't want a golf club you can't golf with.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Cowards. <laughs> These wonderful inventions aside, how do you think it'd go if Nikola Tesla showed up on Shark Tank? Let's oh. have a Shark Tank in Nikola Tesla's time. Do you think he'd get like laughed out of the room for his alternating current and his X-ray technology? <laughs> <laughs>
4: I I hope he goes in only speaks Serbian or Croatian and just makes them catch up. I hope he's that bold about it.
0: (laughs) I do feel really bad for Tesla because he, you know, I feel like a lot of the recognition of his talent was posthumous. Yeah, that's tough. There's an invention he made that really only got recognition many, many decades after he died and he probably would have been better off presenting his inventions at an actual shark tank with real sharks because this invention took a page right out of shark biology. Did you like that segue?
4: I like it, yeah. <laughs> it <This> feels great.
0: <laughs> so the Tesla valve is one of Tesla's inventions that he intended to use in a steam engine which allows for the flow of fluids in only one direction with no moving parts or power needed. The Tesla cool. valve is basically a series of teardrop-shaped tubes where water can flow in one direction, but it, but when it tries to flow in the opposite direction, it becomes trapped in the base of the loops. So if you have, imagine oh. you have like a bendy straw, right? and you bend it in a U-shape and you fill it with water, you can actually trap the water inside the bottom of that loop. Whereas if you pour it out the other way, it just comes right out of the, uh, the straw. And so the tesla valve is like a bunch of these intersecting U-shaped loops of a, a hollow tube structure. So it can flow one way, but then the other way, it gets trapped in the basin of these loops.
4: Yeah, I'm seeing a diagram here. It's a really cool way to to do the one-way pushing of something. I guess I feel like the Steam era was all about pushing steam. That yeah. was just like that that was the entire idea and it let them do everything, including like brass yeah. Zeppelin stuff on the internet later.
0: Pushing steam, steam pushers on the streets trying to get people to buy their steam.
4: <laughs> <laughs> the least pleasant panhandler, or like salesman. someone in a dark like,
0: alley opens his trench coat and says, "Want to buy some steam?" And it all comes out and floats up. He's like, "Ah, damn it, not again!" <laughs>
4: <laughs> Basically, a human tea kettle. Just ah, like you know.
0: <laughs> Even though Tesla's original patent on this valve didn't do him too much good, at least financially. He actually filed for bankruptcy just a few months later. Many decades later, the Tesla valve was rediscovered and is now used in microfluidics. So really teeny tiny microscopic fluid science and in things like pulse jet engines. So it has all of these incredible uses. But Tesla was not the first one to invent this valve. That patent goes to evolution goes to santa darwin darwin invented evolution and so he must have invented this uh this uh shark intestine that's how it works right
4: (laughs) i really want darwin to be like pitching every animal function that has ever evolved (laughs) To a room of investors like 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 he's trying to lay an egg personally right, uh, just right. Like, it's coming it's coming I came up with it it's coming and and Mark Cuban's just waiting real real uncomfortable
0: <laughs> introducing Finch point oh, the new Finch <laughs> for the modern gentleman uh yeah I mean so yes Darwin did not invent evolution it all always existed forever and Darwin merely documented its existence uh, but yes so evolution created the shark, the world's most lovable death machine, with the most interesting digestive system. So digestive systems are very important for animals to be alive. We need food to go in (laughs) one end and a waste to come out the other end. And it's not really good to have partially digested food coming back up the way it came, unless you're like a ruminant where you have a bunch of stomachs and you're kind of pushing food up and then re-digesting it and pushing it back down. But for animals like us humans, we kind of just want one flow of food where we uh, basically, we eat it, chew it up. Uh, That's the first stage of the digestion with our saliva and enzymes, and then we swallow it down. And then in our uh, digestive system, After we have digested stuff in the stomach, it gets pushed with muscle contractions down our intestines.
4: Yeah, a great invention by Darwin. He did great. (laughs) Glad he rolled that out.
0: I have an invention (laughs) to uh, present to you it's (laughs) pooping.
4: and i didn't read the terms of service turns out it smells bad and stuff really really hoisted myself there by my own petard could someone Not like checking.
0: patent pooping and collect royalties every time someone poops oh my god oh my god i got i got i got to go to the patent office real quick i'll be right back <laughs> so sharks do use some muscle contractions to move food down but they also use gravity and a very cleverly designed digestive system and intestines. So oh. their intestines are eerily similar to the Tesla valve. They uh, have. Oh, weird. They are in this spiral shape that effectively creates these loops that, as the food moves down. Uh, it can flow slowly in one direction, but it can't move back the other way up.
4: Wow, that's really cool.
0: If you could shrink down to be the size of like a little fish that got eaten by a shark, it would be like moving down this spirally uh, water slide, but full of digestive juices.
4: I think I think that happens in Disney's The Sword in the Stone, and I wish. Arthur popped back out of the fish and said like, it was full of Tesla valves. So just like <laughs> share that information. Merlin's like, yes, I'm teaching you Tesla valves, <laughs> not how to grow up and be king of England. That's right.
0: I love that movie, especially the part with the owl trying to explain uh, a- air dynamics, <laughs> uh, aerodynamics to the little little Arthur guy. And then Merlin's like, ah, this is school's boring. Let's just turn him into a bird.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because, I yeah, I, I rewatched that movie when the pandemic started and there's very little King stuff. And it's mostly like just making a kid turn out a different animals. Yeah, is yeah. The movie, it's great.
0: Like, you want to learn about <laughs> swimming? I turned you into a fish. Uh, could you have made me a bigger fish so I don't get eaten? Nope.
4: Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen it probably 10 times, that movie. Uh, that was one my of my life.
0: favorite movies growing up. Uh, that and 101 yeah. Dalmatians. but. Anyways, uh, back to shark guts—a much more cheerful topic. Uh, yeah, so if you were if you were shrunk down to a little bit of shark chum, and you're you know you'd just be slipping and sliding your way down their intestines. That are like some the the shark's version of the Tesla valve may actually even be more efficient than Tesla's design and may be optimized. And researchers think that by studying the shark's intestines. We might be able to design better valves for things like wastewater filtration systems that use gravity rather than a lot of power in order to work. Oh, cool. Yeah.
4: That, and aren't sharks ancient? Like they've, they've been around oh, yeah. for so, so long that this is probably one of the oldest animal systems still in use.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, uh... it's like that
4: one sewer in Rome that's from the Roman Empire, but It's it just, <laughs> just keeps on going.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's a I mean, maybe this is part of the reason why they're so old, because there are plenty of other animals that were alive during the time, but they haven't survived this long. Sharks, meanwhile, have a great design through and through uh, has been tested throughout, uh, you know, millions of years.
4: Yeah, it's like an Oreo. Don't mess with it. It works. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? It's a pretty normal thing to say, I think. Uh, Sharks are Oreos. Everyone's saying this. It's all over the streets. Uh... (laughs) I'm
0: not going to question it. It's great. It's a good thing.
2: (laughs) Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack slack is where work happens with all your people data and information in one ai powered place start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites or build an automation with workflow builder to take routine tasks off your plate no coding required grow your business in slack visit slack.com to get started
0: so alex what do you think is the world's most deadly dangerous animal
4: me when I'm riled up. Oh, Am I right? Look out!
0: Yeah, here he comes. Here he comes with his stink lines, with his visible stink <laughs> lines, like a cloud, and little little black dots buzzing around that are signifying there are flies there. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it is not Alex Schmidt, although probably a close second. Fair but it right. is the teeny and tiny mosquito. So mosquitoes. Oh, of course. Yeah, they cause the most uh, animal-related deaths per year. They kill over a million people due to disease. Malaria alone killed over 600,000 people in 2020. And people who live in areas with poor health infrastructure and more impoverished areas are the most vulnerable. And so it's understandable that often we uh, view mosquitoes as the enemy of humanity and that by controlling mosquito populations by killing off mosquitoes we can save human lives and you know that's very true but the very thing that makes mosquitoes so annoying and dangerous can actually uh save lives potentially so have you ever woken up like the day after being out in the evening and maybe wearing shorts or uh, culottes?
4: Thank you. Culottes. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. I'm trying to be inclusive to people who's who wears culottes. <laughs> but There are
4: dozens of us. Dozens of. No, it's a lot of people, actually. It's not weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: going to get emails from people like I am a proud owner and a uh, loyal <laughs> owner of culottes. I've been wearing culottes for over 30 years.
4: Yeah. So next time you email Katie, do a little scent from my culottes right. at the end of the message.
0: Right. <laughs>
4: <laughs> like it's an iPhone.
0: Yes. Please. Everybody, everybody, uh, sound off. Sound off and uh, t- tell me about yeah. your culottes. Leave, a, Sound leave up for
4: the Coolads section yeah. if you have anything to say about.
0: Please the leave show. a rating or review uh of the podcast and then be like, "PS, I I wear culottes. That's me. That person is me." <laughs> <laughs> so, but you you, you know, the day after, you may not notice it the night of, but the day after you get all of these itchy bumps, all these itchy mosquito bites and you had no idea. Yeah. That you're getting all bitten up, but then you'll wake up and you've got like, there's like dozens of bites all over. Like, where did these come from? I don't remember getting bitten.
4: We would go to summer camp in Western Michigan and it's on like the dunes on Lake Michigan there. It turns out there's sand dunes there. And it's like people would have shirts around town that said like, give blood, go to this county. Because it's so many mosquitoes going after people and just drinking them. So you just end up with a patch of bites on one spot of you that was open and maybe not sprayed.
0: Yeah, and you can't see it coming because you can't you don't feel them biting you. And they're so tiny, yeah. sometimes you don't see them. And you'll only really hear them if they get close enough to their to your ear. Yeah, they're they're these little stealthy blood suckers. First yeah. of all, how do they even find you? They seem to just emerge from wherever and hunt you down and track you down and indeed they do so mosquito bites only come from female mosquitoes male mosquitoes actually feed on nectar while female mosquitoes enjoy the extra protein they get from your blood which they use to nourish their eggs so they're really only biting you because you know they're good mothers Uh
4: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm pro-mothers. Vote for me, folks. Now I'm running for office. And it's very important that I come off this way.
0: And if you have wondered how these mosquitoes find you, uh, she is actually sensing the air you breathe. So when you exhale, you release a puff of carbon dioxide. And female mosquitoes have receptors that detect concentrations of CO2 and will move towards its source, which is you. Either it could also be a bird or a cow or you, a juicy human. (laughs) Mosquitoes can also (laughs) smell human skin and are attracted to it. So I guess if you want to avoid mosquito bites, but you don't want to use bug spray, you can cover up and not breathe.
4: Right. Why don't I, I should just become one of those cross sections from the discovery books where it's all of a human's muscles with no skin on it. Then there's no skin. Yeah, there
0: you go. That sounds... Uh, wet. seems
4: easy to do <laughs> I'll just go <laughs>
0: <laughs> seems like a sticky existence but you know hey but see yeah. even if you did that mosquitoes could still smell the carbon dioxide coming out of your you know skin oh. face so you know.
4: you know you know what I'm ultimately going to have to be is a skull with sunglasses on it ultimately. Yeah, which is the coolest thing to be which, I, you know, I think this trajectory was inevitable
0: good news we'll all have that chance someday <laughs> so that solves how mosquitoes find you but how do they bite you without you even knowing Mm. they have optimized being able to suck your blood in a stealthy way that is almost completely painless first of all they can inject you with saliva that actually has anticoagulant chemicals in it that will make your blood runnier and so it'll flow easier. And, uh, you know, so, you know, just uh, so they can easily slurp up a nice, yummy protein shake right out of your, right out of your body. Um, (laughs) And, but to make sure you don't feel it, the proboscis, so that pointy little needle on their face is specifically designed to inflict minimal damage to tissues and nerves. So the proboscis is very teeny, teeny, tiny, just a few micrometers in diameter. And it has these very delicate harpoon-like barbs on the sides that help ease it in. So when you look at it through a microscope, it's like, it seems like, whoa, like that seems like it'd be more painful because it's like a harpoon. And you know how, like a harpoon, it's got these barbs that point downward. So if you harpoon something, it can go easily go in one way, but it gets caught when you're pulling it out. Right, yeah. So you think, like, hey, that seems like that would kind of hurt. But these are so small and microscopic. What they do is it just helps it get traction against the tissue. And this helps it actually very slowly work its way into the skin. So the mosquito will actually vibrate its proboscis, which allows it to very carefully inch its way into the tissue. Or I guess inch is sort of a misleading word because it's we're not talking about units of inches. We're talking about micrometers, <laughs> really, really tiny units. And so like little notch by notch in this barbed proboscis, it works its way in. And if you look at how this works, imagine like a a tube, like a normal needle that's hollow and that's at the center of it and flanking it are these two sort of harpoon edges. And it actually does this alternating sawing movement of these barbed saws that are flanking the needle and that helps it kind of like it's like it's kind of stepping its way into the tissues, like gently walking towards the blood source.
4: Yeah, we should we should get this technology to those heist guys trying to get through vault doors. <laughs> seems like it's always just a big drill. I don't right. think that works as well. That yeah. seems better.
0: Giant mosquito. <laughs>
4: <laughs> My blood fault. No, I'm the bank president now. <laughs> and I'm very upset.
0: <laughs> so. This vibrating sort of uh, method of this proboscis where it just very slowly works its way into your skin is actually minimizing damage and disruptance to your tissues. And in fact, all of the pain and itchiness from a mosquito bite, that that bump, that red spot, is not from the damage it does with its proboscis. It does very little, if any, damage with its proboscis It's actually your body's immune response to that saliva. Remember when I said the mosquito actually injects some Uh saliva that acts as an anticoagulant? You will have an immune response to that saliva because your body detects it as an unknown foreign pathogen and you will issue a response. You'll send out histamines to the area that cause that itchiness, causes redness and inflammation. So all of that annoying itchiness it's actually coming from your own immune response trying to protect your body from this foreign substance this saliva that came from the mosquito.
4: I like that the body is like, "Hey, this happened. It's too late." <laughs> that's the signal you're getting is like be sure to be itchy a bunch cuz something you can't fix already happened. And it's not really a problem.
0: <laughs> In this case that's pretty much you're true. It does in a way, you know, that it's sometimes it seems silly when our immune response has that kind of delayed reaction of like, wait a minute, we got bitten a few hours ago, better itch. Uh it's yeah. <laughs> it is actually it's less that it's trying to warn you about the mosquito and more that it is telling the body, Hey, we've got some foreign substance in here. We should probably get rid of it.
4: I see. It's for their benefit, not for me on this side of consciousness. Okay. Cool.
0: I mean it's it's for you, but it's it's not for your comfort in terms of itchiness. It's for your your body. Your body's immune system doesn't really know about you. It just does stuff to protect the whole body, uh, which is weird. Yeah. Like your body does all these things and it doesn't even know that we've got this consciousness sitting in here experiencing <laughs> all the weird feelings.
4: Yeah, such a distant relationship. Yeah. Don't I don't feel seen, you know? <laughs>
0: Sometimes I just feel like my body isn't really holding space for me. You know what I mean? <laughs>
4: <laughs> and then my body's like, I've had a long day. I just want a beer. Like It's really just not connected, you know? Come on.
0: Yep. Yep. Toxic corporeality. So...
4: <laughs> There's also a conversation between me, a skull with sunglasses, and then the rest of my body. Those are the two sides of it. <laughs>
0: well if you were wondering if there were any practical applications of a mosquito proboscis hey good news in 2022 researchers tested mosquito proboscis inspired or mpi needles that use those harpoon those microscopic harpoon notches and incremental insertion techniques that mosquitoes use the researchers found that the mosquito-inspired needles caused less tissue deformation than typical needles. So this wow. is this is important. I mean, there's the aspect of, hey, creating a more painless needle would be really great for having shots that don't hurt and all that. But there's actually a more critical use for these needles, and that's for things like biopsies. So... Getting a biopsy sample of a possible cancerous lesion is often done with fine needle aspiration. So that's when they insert a very thin needle into the suspicious tissue and pull out a sample. But the problem with this is if you want a really accurate sample from a very specific part of an organ, sometimes the needle will actually deform the tissue as it's inserted. I mean, imagine Pushing like a chopstick through some some peas or something like as you put and, and trying to like like uh s- stick like a
4: <laughs> runs to kitchen starts doing it. Stamp, <laughs> stamp, stamp.
0: <laughs> well, trying to like stick a trying to stick an an egg on a chopstick, like sure. if you're eating ramen and you've got that nice uh, sort of soft boiled oh, egg yeah. in there. It's so good. But you're trying to like stick the egg on your chopstick. It'll like sometimes like squish out of the way. And so imagine right. that, but on the microscopic level, um, or, or very tiny level, with a with something like a uh, your prostate. <laughs> imagine your prostate as the delicious soft boiled egg and, and a bowl of ramen that you're trying to stab.
4: <laughs> it's what I tell my doctor every day.
0: <laughs> so, so that's the problem. So if you can have a needle that is much more accurate and does less pushes tissues away less so you can like just insert it into the place you want without it shoving anything to the side, without it causing uh, much disturbance to the tissues around it, you can get a much more precise biopsy. And this Mm. could increase the accuracy of early cancer detection and help doctors more easily extract biopsy samples. So, you know, think a mosquito before you smash it
4: (laughs) that is that's just a really cool exciting especially because so many people are afraid of the needles we've got yeah you know like whether it's rational or not if we could just ease that that'd be great
0: i think we'll have to have a better marketing pitch than like hey so you know mosquitoes well we made like a giant proboscis and I say giant, but it's not really that big. It's still really tiny. It won't hurt, trust me. Just like mosquitoes bite don't hurt. Anyways, hold still. Relax your muscles.
4: <laughs> what, if, what if the pitch is we just lie and say the idea came from a much cuter animal? Yeah. Even if it doesn't make sense. Like, from, oh, yeah, we got this from pandas. We got pandas this from pandas.
0: Panda scientists worked real hard on this. <laughs> and they'll be real sad if you don't use it.
4: But why does it look like a big plastic mosquito? No, that's what a panda looks like. You're wrong. You just don't know much about pandas. Anyway. Hold still.
0: Yeah, I, I do not have a fear of needles. Uh, I, I have somewhat of a vasovagal reaction sometimes to getting blood drawn, but never when someone's injecting something into me cuz i think there's something mm. there's something going on where it's like when someone's doing an injection of something it's like great new stuff for my body to enjoy but when i'm getting like blood drawn it's like hey i need that and then i feel faint because it's like hey stop stop taking my blood out i need it i need that to live <laughs>
4: <laughs> and then the the nurse is like biz biz i mean uh, i'm a human this is for <laughs> for human purposes that's why i'm taking it
0: delicious this will feed my babies what's that uh don't be a baby and you can have this shot now
4: <laughs> we're not three mosquitoes in a long coat and you're like i don't know that's still really small yeah like, really
0: I, don't, I don't even think three of you guys can hold up a coat you just pull back the coat and it's thousands of mosquitoes but you know if you're out there and you do like feel faint with needles like don't don't feel bad because the the vasovagal response that like fainting response or squeamishness response can be really hard to control and it really it doesn't have anything to do with you being brave or anything like that it's just just kind of Mm. a bodily response but you can train yourself to have less of that response there you know I definitely if you have a if you have a severe phobia of needles, it's one of the most treatable phobias out there. you can go right to then. yeah you if you go uh to a therapist uh getting getting over those needle phobias are, has a very high success rate so I would highly recommend that if you're if oh. you're nervous about shots because you know it's uh it's important to get shots for your health obviously we know that now. Too with the uh, with the COVID <laughs> vaccine, very very important. But if you're if you're kind of scared to get the shot, definitely talk to uh, talk to a doctor about about that phobia because it is it is treatable. And a lot of shots too, depending on like the amount of fluid that they need to inject with the COVID vaccine, a lot of people don't even feel it because it's not that much. Uh, fluid that they have to inject so it's a really thin needle so if you can kind of relax your arm a little bit look the other way you won't even feel it.
4: I do I remember my first shot it felt like such a small shot I was like, did you do it? Yeah. Uh, not, to, not to, like, if you have this needle fear, you know, hang in there. And, and, and like Katie said, you can treat it. It's a, it's a real thing. But I, well, the first shot, I was like, did you push it in yet? And they were like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we did it already. <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. It was the same thing for me where I was like, you know, I I was kind of concerned because I didn't feel it. And I was like, I hope they actually did it right and it actually went in because I want that vaccine. And then, then I got the sore arm and the and sort of the the you know a little bit of symptoms. Yeah. I was like, okay, okay, this is a legit legit vaccine. But it was so painless. I was like, hope they actually gave me the stuff.
4: <laughs> right, they didn't do. It'll be like a heist movie where they show the moment again and right. they like slipped it in their pocket or so. You know, <laughs> like there's a slow motion of what they really did and they're like, no,
0: to go on the black market <laughs> for vaccines. Yeah,
4: yeah. That's how they got my zero dollars for the free vaccine. Now I know.
0: <laughs> I have to tell you this story. First of all, I highly encourage everyone if you haven't already, get your booster shot. I don't. I didn't even really have that many uh, many side effects from, or not side effects, but I didn't have like this sort of immune reaction. I, I didn't feel very sick after. It'll vary, but like it's it's so so much better than uh, getting getting a real real bad bad case of Omicron. So. Uh, yeah, get yeah. get that booster shot. Uh, here in Italy, there was some guy who didn't want to get the shot. Uh, but here you need a, a green pass to be able to like go to restaurants and and do a lot of things. So like, uh, he went to get the shot, and the nurse noticed his arm was kind of weird, and it was a prosthetic arm that he like put over his real arm so that when she gave him the shot, it would oh, just yeah. go into silicone instead of his actual flesh <laughs> and of course she noticed and he was you know got in trouble for it
4: are you telling me a medical professional can detect mannequin parts they learn that <laughs> they, they they can actually tell There wow. was
0: actually a quote by her where she's like i honestly feel insulted as a nurse that someone would think I yeah. could get away with this
4: <laughs> my <laughs> my grandma schmidt I uh, really like to donate blood. And she would, with pride, tell us that every nurse would be excited about how big her veins were. <laughs> They'd be like, you got some veins on you. You are a prime vein. Like, they really notice arm details. And to think that a, a prop arm would fool a, a
1: nurse is I incredible. I so feel like <laughs> there's only
0: two kinds of people who would admire your veins and compliment you on your veins. A nurse and a vampire.
4: Yeah. Right
0: note how they're saying it if it's like oh you have really nice big veins or if they're like i like this ziz- how big your veins are <laughs> yeah. you have such juicy veins there it is there's yeah. there's the dracula it took me a little bit to get into it
4: <laughs> man folks in like the balkans and the carpathian mountains they got to be so mad about that accent i being know co-opted by dracula right like it's got to be so frustrating i am an actual
0: uh, nurse <laughs> I I want to see your veins for for g- taking a blood test. I'm not going to <laughs> drink it. I want to measure your cholesterol.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I keep work at work and then, you know, <laughs> off the clock.
0: Off the clock vampires. <laughs> well, before we go and get sued by everyone from Transylvania, um <laughs> We have got to answer an important question. That question was posed last week, and it was, who's squawking? We are playing the guess who's squawking mystery animal sound game. So Uh, 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 last week's hint was, this guy has a face that looks a bit like US President Chester A. Arthur, but otherwise there's nothing American about him. And here's that sound, and guess who's squawking? So, Alex, you got any guesses?
4: I thank you for a Chester A. Arthur hint that really, really narrows it down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> That's like late 1800s U.S. history. That's my my batch of history that I think about the most. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm i really thinking some kind of little simian or, or monkey, like like some kind of capuchin or tamarind or something because it is like a it's a really chirpy sound but i feel like those little guys will do it.
0: That is a great guess and you are in fact extremely close. So first i want to congratulate the listeners who wrote in with their guesses. We've got some really really good, really close guesses. Uh i had people guessing gibbon and someone guessing the white-cheek gibbon, which is really really close. Oh. And Nice. I want to congratulate Tim M., who guessed a gibbon, Michael D., who guessed even more specifically a white cheeked gibbon, and Maggie M., who guessed a buff cheeked gibbon. You're all, I'm going to just give it to you. That is so close, basically correct. It is a yellow cheeked gibbon. Wow. Which I think actually, yes, the yellow cheeked gibbon is the same thing as the buff cheeked gibbon. So amazing job, you guys. I honestly don't know how you guys do it because I don't think I would have been able to do that. It's easy on my end. I like look up the sound of the animal that I want to showcase I'm like, yeah, that's a gibbon. But it would be very hard for me to play my own game, I think. But what's amazing is... uh, See,
4: Katie, what you do, you select an animal, then you take a very large wooden mallet, again, from cartoons, (laughs) and then you hit yourself on the head. And then you play.
0: And then you hear the little tweety birds. Yes, exactly. Oh, the birds!
4: <laughs> you just guess little tweety birds every time. That's all you hear. <laughs>
0: but Michael D wrote in uh, that uh, he hears them at the San Antonio Zoo, and Maggie M hears nice. them at the Cincinnati Zoo. So, uh,
4: oh,
0: but Alex, you were you were so close. I feel like you deserve. Credit for being very, very close. Yes, indeed. It is a little monkey. Uh, So the yellow-cheeked-crested gibbon is its full name, also the buff-cheeked gibbon. Uh, They live in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. So they start out as this really pretty blonde as babies. And then as adults, their fur turn this inky black and males keep a streak of blonde near their cheeks, which gives them this wonderful Chester A. Arthur mutton chops facial hair look. Yeah. And females actually, throughout, they start out as blonde and then they get this dark fur uh, during adolescence. But then once they reach sexual maturity, they turn blonde again, other than like this black cap that remains on the top of their heads. And the babies are always born blonde and that matches the mother's fur so the babies blend in with the mother's fur oh yeah <laughs> and so that they are oh, kind of camouflaged uh, against the mother and this this process of the color changing is really interesting because you would wonder well why don't female if female Gibbons end up being blonde as adults why would they start out as they start out as blonde then they black fur and then they become blonde again well it's an interesting question there are a couple of things that could be going on one is that by being blonde when they're fully grown adults and having that coloration it's a signal to the male gibbons that she is a sexually mature female another Mm. thing that could be going on is that when the adolescent females get this black fur, it makes them blend in with the adolescent males. And there's this theory in evolutionary biology that sometimes it is beneficial for an animal species when the young uh, will look similar, like they're less sexually dimorphic, meaning that both of the sexes look really similar, so that adult males won't go through and try to kill young unrelated males to reduce competition before they grow up. So essentially, when all the young look alike, the males can't tell the difference between the females and the males. So it makes it less likely that, say, there would be a, a strategy that an older male would have where they go through and try to kill all the uh, male babies so that when they grow up, they're not competition.
4: That was much more uh, harrowing than I expected. And that's fine. It's, but, a, it's yeah, Game of amazing. Thrones.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit Game of Thronesy. <laughs>
4: Because <laughs> I have a distinct zoo memory of I don't think it's this species, but it was uh, a monkey species where I saw they had a it was a baby just hanging onto the mom's fur very tightly, and it was like climbing all over the branches and trees that were available, and the baby was just on it like a little patch. Yeah. So so I jump. I was I just had that grooving in my head, and then <laughs> it was like, and then the fathers devour the young, and like, oh no, oh jeez
0: Then I got real <laughs> biblical on you. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I want to emphasize, this is just, this is kind of just my theory about why this hair color might change, Um, and it's sort of a general theory in evolutionary biology. I'm not sure there's anything specifically about these gibbons, like any studies that have found that, uh, uh, out about whether this is true for them, that that is the, the, the coloration morphs change to protect the young from that kind of strategy um it just could be because like you know the it, it it could be something where maybe in sort of earlier evolutionary iterations where the offspring are easier to tell apart then you would have more of a risk of this kind of strategy but currently actually uh gibbons live pretty harmoniously they live in these small family groups and are monogamous So you'll often see Mm. a blonde-haired gibbon, which is a female, cuddling with a black-haired gibbon, which is male, with like a baby, and it's adorable, and they like to spoon each other, and it's so cute.
4: Uh, It's really nice. Yeah. Good for them.
0: (laughs) Good for them. And so that call you just heard is an adult male, yellow-cheeked, crested gibbon who is potentially seeking a mate or calling out for its mate, or maybe even communicating with Neighbors, They have all sorts of calls and sometimes they're using it to kind of define their resources or their territory. Or sometimes it's just to communicate with others, like saying like, hey, I'm here. I'm single and I'm ready to mingle. <laughs> now on to this week's mystery animal sound. And the hint yes. for this week is don't be alarmed by this animal's name. Its call is purely platonic, warning you about an approaching leopard. <laughs> So you hear that kind of raspy, squeaking noise, like a squeaker that kind of has lost its squeak a little bit.
4: Yeah, like yeah, like a worn out squeaker toy. Wow. Yeah.
0: So who do you think is squonking? The hint is: don't be alarmed by this animal's name. Its call is purely platonic.
4: Oh, I'm really at sea on this one. I, I don't mean I'm thinking of sea creatures. Like it, it could be <laughs> a, a lot of different land animals, uh, not sea animals. Weird. I guess. I'm imagining a little bird, but that's probably not correct at all. <laughs>
0: well, the answer will be revealed next week. Mm. So tune in next Wednesday. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can the people find you?
4: It's uh, it's great every time. And uh, and yeah, I hope people check out Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. If you look up sifpod.fun or just search the name secretly in your podcast app, you'll find it. Each episode's about one thing people think is ordinary, and then we get into why it's amazing with history and science and stories. And uh, Katie's been an amazing guest on it many times.
0: I've been on there, and it's great. I can personally vouch for it, because we've talked about <laughs> beaver butts, we've talked about corn. It's amazing.
4: Yeah. Oh, that corn show. It's so fun. So good. That, that kicked off 2022. It's killer year. The already. corn
0: year. So... <laughs> You can find you can find me on the internet at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That is something very different. And if you think you know the answer to this week's mystery animal sound game, email me at Feature pod at gmail.com or send me your, I guess, opinions about culots. Yeah, yeah, that's send what I want. Send from your culottes. Thank you. Send, send, uh, send culottes opinions, <laughs> yay or nay. And uh, thank you so much to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Ex Illumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I don't judge you. See you next Wednesday. Plus, at these
1: prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at
2: ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, should we go electric?
1: I think we should go electrified with Toyota.
2: Electrified?